take your copy of God's Word and open to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. So last week, Jacob began a study of this chapter. He covered verses 1 through 10. You may recall in that section... God took direct aim at the shepherds of Israel for their neglect of the sheep, really for their exploitation of the sheep. These supposed shepherds were not interested in the health of the sheep at all. They were not interested in the well-being of the sheep. Really, they were concerned about their own prosperity and health. Jacob made mention last week, that this probably takes direct aim at the kings. But I do think our minds often don't grasp that fully because we think of the king of Scotland or the king of France when we hear that. But the kings of Israel were not merely a political figure. Their primary duty was not to set forth economic policy. On on the contrary, the king of Israel was primarily a spiritual leader, even a type of the coming Messiah who one day would also sit on David's throne. And the king was set on the throne then to be an example of godliness to the people. So when you think of the king, don't just think of a regular old king like the king of Britain or wherever. Even in the Old Covenant law, in Deuteronomy, here's what God commanded of the king of Israel. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 17. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priest. So he had to hand copy the books of Moses, the law. And it had to be so perfect that it was approved by a Levitical priest. Moses goes on and says, It shall be with him. He shall read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So you see, the king of Israel was far from just a political leader. He was a spiritual leader. With the exception of but a few men though, the kings of Judah had been anything but godly examples to God's flock. In fact, they had opposed the prophets that God had repeatedly sent their way, and they had led the people to follow the teaching of the false prophets, even to worship the gods of the nations around them, pagan gods. So there is a direct link between the wicked kings and the false prophets. And to fail to make that connection is really to misunderstand much of what's being said here in this passage before us not only last week, but this week and next week as well. Well, the words directed against the wicked shepherds must have included the false prophets because those wicked kings led them to follow those false prophets. But that's an obvious link to the original reader. We don't think that way because we just think of a 
political king, but that's not what's going on here. Well, so the section that Jacob preached last week ended in verse 10. It says there, uh, 34.10, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. So there's, there's two promises of God really here. First, God is against the shepherds, the wicked shepherds. They are going to be dethroned and the false prophets are going to be put away at the same time. Secondly, God says, I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. This statement really is, is everything of a hint of what we're going to study tonight. The idea that God would rescue the sheep from the mouths of the wicked shepherds. God Himself promises to be the great shepherd of His sheep. This meant then, considering what I've said already this evening, that God would fill the role of both king and prophet. A claim which ultimately got Jesus put to death. Something we'll talk about later, way too early in the sermon to get there. That brings us then to the text we're looking at this evening. Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy." I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself, will judge between the fat and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey." And I will judge between sheep and sheep. 
And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. We'll stop there for the evening. The name of my sermon this evening is Yahweh the Good Shepherd. Yahweh the Good Shepherd. I think you could see as we read through this text that God promises here to rescue His sheep and rule over them. He's going to do everything right that the wicked shepherds had done wrong. So let's just work through this passage somewhat quickly. There's, there's plenty here, but it's not hard to follow. Verse 11 again, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. So let me be just really clear right up front. Who is speaking here? This is important. It will be later on when we get to where we're going. Who is speaking here? Notice what it says. Thus says the Lord God. And if you're using an ESV, the second, like Lord is L, small O-R-D, but God is all caps. That's Yahweh. So literally this says, for thus says Lord Yahweh. God is speaking here. God is promising that He will do for His sheep what the wicked shepherds of verses 1 through 10 had failed to do for them. Let me remind you, this is is easy to lose sight of because we've come so far in our study in Ezekiel, but the times of the Gentiles have already been set into motion at this point. I mentioned this way back in chapter 21, verse 26. God said, remove the turban and take off the crown. That was before the final destruction of Jerusalem. That not only referred to the king and his crown, but to the high priest and his turban. Both were removed from office when Nebuchadnezzar brought Jerusalem to the ground. I mean, the temple was destroyed and the king was dethroned. Well, by this point, now... All of that has happened. What God said was going to happen in Ezekiel 21 has now happened. The times of the Gentiles have begun, which both Jesus and the Apostle Paul talk about. And since this time that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army destroyed Jerusalem, no Davidic king, no son of David has ever sat on the throne in Israel. That will be key because we're going to talk about that here at the end. We just, we just read that. And no high priest has fully served. That doesn't mean there wasn't a high priest in the days of Jesus. Remember, high priests led in the trial of Jesus and ultimately had Him put to death. But the Ark of the Covenant has been lost since the days that it was destroyed. And the Shekinah glory has not dwelled between the cherubim. That No high priest has fully Served. Israel has been scattered at this point, and yet Yahweh Himself promises to rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. 
Verse 13 says, I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. Look, even after the remnant returns, after the Babylonian captivity, we're in the middle of the Babylonian captivity here. Ezekiel is in Babylon. He's one of the exiles, one of the captives that has been taken there. They will be there 70 years. But even after the remnant returns from the Babylonian captivity, Israel never controlled their land. And a descendant of David never sat on the throne and ruled over them. Really, the language here speaks to a very wide scattering, not just to a scattering into Babylon. Notice, it speaks of them being scattered into countries, plural, and being exiles among many peoples, plural. Nevertheless, God promises to bring them into their own land and to bless that land. I, just, I do not have time this evening to walk through all of the Old Testament promises of a new covenant. They are several. There's quite a few just in the book of Ezekiel. But if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 4 through 6, you can find a new covenant promise there. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 40. Ezekiel chapter 11, 17 through 20, which we looked at several months ago. Uh, Ezekiel 36 is coming. It's just right around the corner. I mean, we're in Ezekiel 34. Probably only be a few months till we get to Ezekiel 36, right? Look, all of those Old Testament promises of a new covenant, all of them attach land promises to them. Israel is promised land through the new covenant. We're not going to get to it this evening, but even in the final section of this chapter... God is very clear that there are land promises to the nation of Israel. Now most Christians lost sight of land promises for some 1900 years of church history because Israel was not on their land. And people failed to see how in the world God could possibly bring a nation to life that had been destroyed almost 2,000 years ago. Nevertheless, Israel remains, and their very existence is one of the greatest miracles of all time, as well as a testimony to God's loyalty to His Word. By the way, I want you to notice in this section, <clears throat> I'm not going to point them all out because there are many, but notice all of the I will promises in this section. You'll see the same thing, by the way, in the next section next week. I think if... If I looked correctly, there are 25 I-wills in this section and the next section combined. Israel is not going to accomplish this on her own effort. She's not going to get together a big enough army to conquer all of her enemies. That's not how this is going to work. She certainly is not going to earn this by her faithfulness. That ship has long since sailed. 
That has been a major point of Ezekiel's prophecy up to this point. They had continually been a very unfaithful wife to their husband, Yahweh. Now, how is this going to happen? Here's how. God's going to do it. I will do it, God says. This is, this is an act <coughs> excuse me. This is an act of sovereign grace. Why is God going to do it? Because He is concerned about His name, His reputation, and because He is true to His word, His covenant to them. Look at verse 15 in this chapter. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. This is, by the way, this is a vitally important verse. The, declares the Lord God. Yahweh Himself says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. Is this reminiscent of perhaps a psalm that you can think about? It should be. We just sang it a second ago. Psalm 23. King David, a shepherd himself. He was a shepherd of Israel. What did he write in Psalm 23? Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. David was a faithful shepherd because he realized there was a greater shepherd than him, God. The wicked shepherds of the first ten verses failed to see that, and they actually used the sheep for their own self-interests. Nevertheless, God says, I will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, as David said, in green pastures. He goes on, I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them injustice. You see, the I wills just flow as you work through this text. Look, this is the work of a faithful shepherd. This, these are the very things that the wicked shepherds in verses 1 through 10 didn't do. The wicked shepherds had abused the sheep. The good shepherd works for the good of the sheep. He heals them. He seeks them. He binds the injured. He strengthens the weak. But it goes on and says here, the fat and the strong, whom God here says He will destroy, they are those shepherds that had gotten rich and the word here is fat, but they had gotten fat, they had gotten rich on the backs of the sheep. What are they going to face? Justice, God says. Are, are you ever concerned that there's no justice in the world? Well, justice is coming. God guarantees that. In verse 17, He says, As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture? To drink of clear water, you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep 
eat what you've trodden down with your feet and drink what you've muddied with your feet? Look, this is directed straight back at those shepherds of verses 1 through 10. The wicked shepherds of the land. Those kings that had led the people to listen to the lies of the false prophets. To worship foreign gods. To transgress God's law. And ultimately to sin against Him. Those wicked shepherds are pictured here as treading down good pasture and muddying clear water. Like if someone asks you for a glass of water, you don't want them to throw mud in it, right? Who, who wants to drink that? It is interesting, back in chapter 32, in the judgment section directed towards Egypt, Pharaoh is said to have troubled the waters with his feet and fouled Egypt's rivers. In other words, God is judging Pharaoh because he was a a very wicked, evil king. He was a, a wicked leader of his people. He was a poor king. Through his policy, the people of Egypt had suffered because he had muddied the waters of the Nile. Well, here in Ezekiel 34, the wicked shepherds in Judah are likened to one of the most wicked leaders of all time, Pharaoh. That's that's telling. And because of that, the sheep, the people of Israel, were left with unhealthy food and unhealthy drinking water. It's clear what's being said here The work of the leaders of Israel, political and spiritual, had actually worsened the living conditions and the spiritual life of the nation. Because God was now judging them for their sin. But God's not going to let that slide. Notice verse 20, Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock, they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. God's going to judge between sheep and sheep. In other words, between member of the nation of Israel and member of the nation of Israel. He's not talking about saved person and saved person. That's not what he means. He means Jew and Jew. God's going to judge between those that had fattened themselves off the sheep. Those who had been abused at their hands would be judged rightly and helped, but the wicked shepherds would be judged and justice would be given to them. By the way, the The scattering of the sheep, the fact that they had been run into other countries in judgment, is actually laid at the feet of these wicked shepherds here. They're the ones that caused this. They had led the people down the path to transgress God's law that has gotten them in exile. Well, God declares that He will judge between sheep and sheep. Again, between the wicked, unbelieving leaders and the people whom they had exploited for their benefit. God's going to judge between them. This is, this is actually similar to something that we studied back in chapter 20 when God uses 
uh, shepherd language there. Here's what God said. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. That passing under the rod, that shepherd language. Well, just like He did there, here God promises to judge the wicked, but He also promises to rescue His sheep, declaring they shall no longer be a prey. Listen to me. Israel has never experienced a time of peace like this talks about. Never. But they are promised that just here. Or they are promised just that here. Guys, listen listen to me. If the scattering of the nation of Israel that we have studied in the book of Ezekiel is a literal scattering, then there is no reason to believe that their regathering that this passage talks about is anything but literal. It's exactly the same. This is going to be fulfilled during Messiah's reign on David's throne. Yahweh told Hosea, For the children of Israel shall dwell with many days without king or prince, without a sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to His goodness in the latter days. Look, that is the promise for the Jews. And that leads right into these last two verses that we're going to look at in this chapter this evening. God says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, Yahweh, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I'm just naive enough to believe when God says, I am the Lord, I have spoken, that we need to believe the words on the page here. Now these two verses could be linked with the rest of the chapter. They're they're really, at the very least, transitional between this section that we're looking at this evening and the section that Brian, Lord willing, will preach next Wednesday. We'll go ahead and look at them tonight since the ESV divides it this way, but... If Brian does his job, he will re-look at them next week. If he doesn't, then make a mental note that he's not the scholar he claims to be. But he will, now that I've said something. Remember, David has long since died at this point. David is not future. David is in the ground here. And his dynasty on the throne of Israel has been cut off, at least through Kaniah. Jacob went into all of that last week. And yet here, David's coming. What, how is that? Well, look, it's not David himself that's coming, but the greater son of David promised in the Davidic covenant. He's coming. At this point, 
We don't know His name is Jesus. We just know He's coming and He's David's greater son. Remember 2 Samuel 7. God said to David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. I will establish His kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. You'd have thought it was talking about Solomon until you heard that last part. I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. (coughs) Excuse me. This obviously refers to the Messianic King, who now, today, we know is Jesus of Nazareth. Notice, by the way, God says, over the nation that has been divided since Rehoboam and Jeroboam, right? Hundreds of years they've been divided since Solomon died. God says, I will set up over them one shepherd. How's He going to set up one shepherd over two different countries? Well, it's simple. They're going to be united again. That's how. They're going to be united and all 12 tribes will be one, one country. This will become even more clear in chapter 37 where God says this very thing, but I, I don't have time to go there this evening either. Guys, look. This has never happened. They have never been all 12 tribes, one country and one king since the Babylonian captivity. This has not happened. And notice the work of this Davidic shepherd. He shall feed them, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. It's amazing, by the way, even here in this text, in the Old Testament, we see the teaching of the Trinity, at least the teaching of the Father and the Son here. By the way, we'll see the Spirit clearly in chapter 36. The Trinity is all through uh, the book of Ezekiel. But God Himself, Yahweh, is said to be both shepherd and God to the people of Israel. And yet this servant David, the Messiah Himself, also serves in the same role. How? Well, because Jesus is God. This text is quite amazing. The only hope for Israel being converted and restored is the Messiah, who is none other than God Himself, Jesus. And guys, listen, if Israel today is to be restored, it will not be through war. It will be through the only hope that they have, and that's the person and work of Jesus Christ. The land of Israel is of no consequence without the repentance of what they did to their Messiah and their conversion to Him. They must have that before the kingdom is set up. Now, I think Christians today, because we have at least practically unhitched ourselves from the Old Testament, fail to see the connection of this chapter and the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Turn with me to John chapter 10. In this chapter, John chapter 10... Jesus makes a rather clear claim that He is the good shepherd that Ezekiel prophesied of hundreds of years before. 
But before that, he begins talking about the wicked shepherd. Look what he says in verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. By the way, he refers to them as thieves and robbers in verse 1 and 8 and 10. This notice what he says in verse 12 of a hired hand. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10. That's what that sounds like. There is little doubt that, G, that the, the religious leaders hearing Jesus preach this day knew He was pointing a finger directly in their face. They are just like the wicked shepherds of Ezekiel 34, 1-10. But then notice Jesus' claim, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now because you're a Gentile, you probably wouldn't immediately make a connection to Ezekiel 34. But Ezekiel 34 was a great promise to the people of Israel that God Himself was coming and He was going to be the Good Shepherd who does all of these things for His people. It is virtually impossible that these people who heard Jesus preach this day would not have made an immediate connection when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is fulfilling the role that was promised way back in Ezekiel 34. He says it again in verse 14. Look, John 10, 14. <coughs> I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Much unlike the wicked shepherds that had exploited the sheep, whether they were in Ezekiel's day or in Jesus' day, Jesus as the good shepherd is willing to lay down His life for the sheep. This is a claim of being the good shepherd of Ezekiel 34. By the way, the scene in John 10 changes in verse 22 to the Feast of Dedication which took place at Jerusalem in the winter. By the way, this is what we refer to today as Hanukkah. If you've ever heard that, that's what that is there. The scene changes, but the subject matter of Jesus' preaching doesn't change. That's why John put these passages together. Jesus is still preaching about the Good Shepherd, still claiming that He is the one whom Ezekiel 34 speaks of. Look what He says in verse 26. He says that these religious leaders do not believe because they are not among His sheep. He is judging between sheep and sheep, you see. Same with the wicked leaders in Ezekiel's day. Of course, God had a purpose. The nation of Israel rejected Jesus at this time so that He is crucified, bearing the sins of all who would ever, ever believe. We know that without this rejection, we don't have the crucifixion. Without the crucifixion, we're all still in our sins. Don't, don't miss the sovereign purpose of God in all of this. Nevertheless, the religious leaders of Jesus' day are no different than the wicked shepherds of Ezekiel 34, 1-10. through 10. 
But then notice in verse 27 what Jesus says. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Obviously, Jesus is still preaching that He is the Good Shepherd of Ezekiel 34. And this last statement, I and the Father are one, is precisely what we studied this evening in our text. Yahweh said, I am the Good Shepherd. Jesus shows up and says, I am the Good Shepherd. Jesus is God in the flesh. Listen, despite what the Jehovah's Witnesses would have us to believe... Jesus absolutely claims to be God right here in John chapter 10. They just aren't reading carefully. Yahweh Himself is the Good Shepherd. Remember when we began tonight, I said, let's make perfectly sure that we know who's speaking. The Lord God, the Lord Yahweh. Yahweh Himself is the Good Shepherd of Ezekiel 34. And so Jesus is absolutely claiming to be God in the flesh right here in John chapter 10. But don't take my word for it. Look at the response of the people that were standing there. If you want to know what He was claiming, look at verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone Him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Look, don't take my word for it. The people standing there that day knew precisely what Jesus was saying. They made the connection. We don't have to have any doubts. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd of Ezekiel 34. Jesus' actions proved that He was the Messianic King. His actions proved it. Things like, I don't know, turning water to wine, like a creative miracle. You know, feeding thousands of people from a few loaves of bread. Healing every single sick person when He walked into a town. He proved He was the Messiah. But the leaders just continued to hate Him all the more for it. But Jesus' work as the Good Shepherd of Ezekiel 34 has not yet been completed. It actually will not be completed until He returns. He said so. Matthew 25, Jesus prophesied, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, that's, that's something that's still future in our day. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He said Jesus' shepherd work is still yet future, at least some of it. And He will place the sheep on His right hand and the goats on His left then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So before the kingdom age ensues, Jesus will complete His work of the Good Shepherd in Ezekiel 34. He will separate the sheep from the goats. 
Without a doubt then, Israel will receive the promises of Ezekiel 34. Conversion to her Messiah and restoration to her land and the restoration of her land. You notice when we read through here how productive the land is going to be during the kingdom age. Look, I'd love to walk you through all the texts declaring the national conversion of Israel, but they are so many and I will hold off since those are still yet coming in our study of Ezekiel anyway. At that time in the future, Jesus will declare, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So in Jesus' teaching, the kingdom is still yet future. He will say, inherit the kingdom prepared to you from the foundation of the world. That's why we are still praying, your kingdom come. Because we are still looking for that coming kingdom, and we are to be witnessing of it. You know, we as Gentiles have been graciously grafted into the new covenant promises that have been made to Israel, specifically through the work of her messianic king, Davidic king, Jesus. The church-age saints, us, we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 1.3. But it would take exegetical gymnastics of which I am unable to perform to have all of the promises in this section we've studied this evening to be fulfilled in the church. The church doesn't have land. The church has not promised these things. Israel will one day be converted and restored to her land and King Jesus will sit on David's throne and reign over the world from Jerusalem. Now listen, guys, if you cannot see the importance of believing in Jesus and being reconciled to this coming King, I don't know of a text that will tell you anything more pertinent. There's coming a time when Jesus is going to judge between person and person. The King is coming. He will take His rightful place of dominion over this planet and over all of its inhabitants. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Not only did He claim to be, but He proved He was beyond the shadow of a doubt. And part of that work will be when He returns and separates the sheep from the goats, believers from unbelievers, the blessed of the Father from those who are headed into eternal torment in the lake of fire. But I hope that you are trusting Him this very moment. And tomorrow is Thanksgiving. And I cannot think of a better focus on Thanksgiving Day than on the great shepherd of our souls, Jesus, drawing us into His flock, into His sheepfold. So when you, when you gather tomorrow and eat, not stuffing, dressing, preach, somebody say amen, right? When you gather with your family tomorrow, don't fail to thank God for your salvation, specifically the fact that you have been adopted into a much bigger family, the family of God, and you have a great shepherd, the shepherd of your soul. Yahweh, the good shepherd. The good shepherd is Jesus. Those say the same thing. Stand with me if you will.